hope you have your Bibles today, and let's turn to Matthew 6. And uh, we're still on the petition of your kingdom come. And I want you to think about what we saw last week. I I have in your notes the review of that. I'm not going to go through that because of our prayer time. But I want you to think in terms of this prayer, if you bring up that next slide. Um, Remember what the kingdom is. The kingdom is a king. you got to have a ruler. And that ruler has to have authority, a rule. And that authority is to rule over subjects, the ruled, and to rule over a realm. There's a land. So there's a a kingdom person, there's a kingdom power, there's a kingdom people, and there's a kingdom place. And when all four of those aspects are on earth as it is in heaven, that's when you know the kingdom has come. When When the ruler himself, when all the people, not some in heaven, some on earth, when all are on earth, when all of that is on earth, then the kingdom has come. And we talked about four implications of that. And the implication that I want to address this morning is the implication for our daily pursuits. I want to give you this morning four proofs that the kingdom is your greatest pursuit. So what we've been saying, the first petition Hallowed be your name. That's our priority. And when that's our priority in life, then the second petition, your kingdom come, becomes our daily pursuit. And I just want to give you six ways that that is true. I like what Albert Moeller says in his little book on the Lord's Prayer. For the kingdom of God to come means that all other kingdoms, including our own, must fade into oblivion. And here are six proofs that we're in that process. So here's the first one. We are preparing with kingdom readiness. We are preparing with kingdom readiness. I mean, if we're going to pray your kingdom come, then we're by implication, we're saying I'm ready for it. Okay, so how do we know if we're really ready? Alva J. McLean is a Bible scholar, wrote a book on the greatness of the kingdom. Great book. And here's what he says. What is certain is that the present age viewed from the standpoint of the kingdom is a time of preparation. During this period, the son of man is sowing gospel seeds, generating and developing a spiritual nucleus for the future kingdom, a group that is called the sons of the kingdom. So let's see if we're ready. First thing I want you to see is the king's coming will be soon, sudden, and sure. When I think about the coming of Christ, I always think these words, soon, sudden, and sure. What do I mean by soon? It can come at any moment. Nothing has to be in place. Nothing has to fall into place. He could come at any moment. Nothing stands in the way of the king coming with his king kingdom. Sudden, I mean by that, that once it begins to come, it will come. And it will come suddenly, and it will be here. And then, sure, it's going to happen. You say, yeah, but it's been over 2,000 years. Yeah, delay doesn't mean denial. It doesn't mean denial. And so let's do our Advent greeting. Christ has come. He is coming again. Christ has come. 
He is coming again, and that is sure to happen. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew 24 and 25. If there's one place to go on how to get ready, the king himself tells us in Matthew 24 and 25 how to be ready. I mean, if you just, as I did this week to prepare, just read these two chapters... Uh, there's there's questions in them that we don't have answers to, but there's what is clear in them is how to be ready. So let me take us there and look. Uh, so look at uh, chapter 24. Let's begin in verses 36 through 39. 36 through 39. And what we see in these verses that we, is we need to be ready like in the days of Noah. But of that day and hour... No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. It will be unexpected for the unprepared. So always be ready. Now go to verse 42. Verses 42 through 44. It's going to come like a thief in the night. Therefore, verse 42, be on the alert, which literally is watch, watch, awake, stay awake. Watch, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert, he would have been watching, and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not think he will. So what's the application? How are you ready? Always be watching and always be waiting. Then drop down to verses 45, 45 through 46. Uh, His coming will not be a surprise to the faithful servant. Look at verse 45. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Now notice verse 46, blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. So the idea is those who are ready are watching, they're waiting, but they keep working. They keep working until he comes. And then go to chapter 25. Chapter 25 uh, verses 1 through 13 is the parable of the wise virgins. Uh, the ten virgins, five are wise, five are foolish. Well, look at verse 25, 5. We're not going to explain that whole story. You can read it. But notice, they're getting ready for the bridegroom coming. The bridegroom would come at a wedding, and the wedding party would then go out and meet the bridegroom, and the bridegroom would then take them back to his house. And so they're waiting. They're waiting for the bridegroom to show up. But look at verse 5. It says, Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. So notice, 
the bridegroom is not delayed. He is purposely delaying. And as he delays, just like all of us, what do you do? What happens when you get tired of waiting? You, you fall asleep, right? You, 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 you fall asleep, and that's what happened. And then suddenly he came with a shout, and five of them had their oil lamps ready, and five of them didn't. Look again at verse 13. Drop down to verse 13. Be on the alert. There's the idea. Watch again. Then, for you do not know the day or the hour. Always be waiting. Always be watching is the idea. And then the coming of the king is not a surprise to the good and faithful servant. Drop to verse 14. And notice what it says there. It's talking about uh, verse 14. For it is like a man about to go on a journey. That is, the king's going to go to heaven to get the kingdom. Called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. This is the parable of the talents. He gives these talents out. Differing talents, differing responsibilities. But then look at verse 19. Now, after a long time. So again, Jesus is already indicating, look, I'm here. The kingdom is near. I'm going to go away and I'm going to be away for a long time. And I'm going to be delaying my return. What are you to be doing? Look at verse 19. Now, after a long time, the masters of those slaves came and settled accounts. And as you know, some had been working hard and some had buried their talents and had nothing to show for that time that they should have been working for the king. So what do we learn from our coming king on this? Well, it's really simple, and I have it in your notes. Those that are truly ready for the kingdom of God, kingdom readiness means you're waiting, you're watching, and you're working until he comes. Keep working and watching while you're waiting. That's when you're ready. Are you serving the Lord in this in-between time, this now, not yet? And the longer you live here and the more he delays, are you finding yourself growing weary or retreating or retiring from the work of the Lord? And those that are ready are working. Number two. We are practicing kingdom repentance. We are practicing kingdom repentance. Now, this is something that I learned in thinking through this. And and I I got excited about this because I hadn't made this connection before. Here's the idea. People who are ready for the king's coming are always repenting. Now, why do I say that? Well, first of all, keep repenting until the kingdom comes. That's people that are ready are not only working, waiting, and watching, but they're always repenting. Why? Well, Matthew 4, 17, Jesus said himself, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's that mean? He's simply saying, the kingdom is near because me, the king, is here. The kingdom is near near. It's, it's coming because now the king is here. Therefore, reprint, repent. That makes sense, right? But we don't make the connection. Well, guess what? Is the king here now? Well, trick question. Yes and no. But no, physically, he's up in heaven. He's not here. 
And yet we as his kingdom people are here. And yet what is the Advent greeting? Christ has come. He's coming again. And if the way to be ready in his first coming was repent, what should we be doing now? Repenting. Exactly. And not just repenting to enter the kingdom, but repentance as a lifestyle that, oh my, I'm growing weary and well-doing. I need to repent because the king is coming. Oh my, I'm getting ensnared into the pleasures of the world or the lusts of my flesh. I need to be repenting because the king is coming. Does that make sense? And so when you look at Scripture, this was the message of John before Jesus came. Matthew 3, 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was the message of Jesus during his earthly ministry. I just read Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach. What did Jesus preach for three and a half years? Repent for the kingdom is at hand. The Kingdom is near because the king is here. Uh, it was Peter's message. You say, well, okay, that was Jesus. What about when Jesus ascended? He crucified, resurrected, ascended. What did the church preach? Acts 2.38, on the day of Pentecost, here's Peter's message. Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance. And faith is how the church is born. Repentance and faith is how the church continues to live until he comes. It's Paul's message even to Jew and Gentile. Because sometimes people get confused about repentance. And they say, well, that was a Jewish thing. That was a Jewish message. Now we're in the church age. Well, listen to Paul. Acts 17, verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance... God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. This is still our message. You say, well, Chris, what's repentance? It's a God-given change of heart that leads to a change of life. It's a God-given change of heart. It's not something uh, the uh, Carmen's nuns uh, were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. Here's, Carmen, how you repent. It's something that you have to work up and you have to repeat and you have to feel sorry when, in fact, it's a God-given change in your heart that leads to a change of life. And that's why the second aspect of this repentance is Keep bearing fruit of repentance until the kingdom comes. So you say, well, how do I know I'm repenting correctly? You will bear the fruit of repentance. (coughs) You won't keep going back to to the same sin and quickly ask uh, forgiveness, knowing I can always ask forgiveness, so I'll keep on sinning. That's not repentance. Repentance is when you're brokenhearted and God has called you to a change of life and you begin your life begins to change from the inside out. Now, this was warned about by John the Baptist and Jesus also. So, turn your Bibles to Matthew 3. I want you to see Matthew 3 where John preaches on repentance, but he warns 
those that are externally religious, those that are into doing the good works, they're basically coming to John and say, John, this baptism of repentance of yours looks like a good work. We want to get in on the action. And he says this to him, Matthew 3, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You know what he's saying? Has God convicted your heart? Has God granted you this repentance? Or are you? is this your idea? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can save to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father, or we are Baptists, or we are Catholics, or we have said our number of our fathers. For I say to you, that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Now, isn't that a blessing? That God can take the stoniest heart and bring repentance to it? You ever had a hard heart? You praying for anybody with hard hearts? God can do that. God can do that. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, turn to Matthew 7, because John the Baptist didn't just say it. Jesus said it. Listen to Matthew 7, uh, 15. Let's look at 15. Matthew 7. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where we find the Lord's Prayer. And look at what he says. One of the most frightening, powerful conclusions to a sermon ever. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles. Are they? Of course not. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit and A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. You have to be born again. You've got to have that God-given gift of faith and repentance. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their what? By their fruits. Now look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter what? the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Now, right there, he is tied together. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Those that are ready keep repenting and they keep bearing the fruit of repentance. But there's a third. There's a third proof. And let's move on to that. And it's this. We are prioritizing kingdom living here and now. We are prioritizing kingdom living here and now. Now this makes sense too. Because what do we say? Kingdom readiness, or the proof that you're pursuing the kingdom, is kingdom readiness where you're waiting Watching and working until he comes. But hey, none of us do that perfectly, do we? Okay, we all fall short. Therefore, what do we need to be doing? Kingdom repentance. 
But if we're truly kingdom repenting, there will be kingdom living, kingdom fruit that comes out of our lives. And so we are prioritizing kingdom living. Now you say, Chris, prioritizing, are you picking that because it's a P? Well, yeah, but it's also biblical. So look at Matthew 6, verse 33. There's really a med... First of all, I can't turn off my head, okay? So I cannot not do this. Number two, I do make it biblical. Why am I saying prioritizing? Somebody read Matthew 6, 33 for us. Oh, do what? Seek first. Oh, he's giving us priority. Seek first the kingdom of God, which means be ready. Kingdom readiness, kingdom repentance. But then he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his what? Righteousness. Living rightly with God, living rightly according to God's standards with others, vertical and horizontal. Am I right with God? Am I right with others? That's our priority. This already leads us down into the Lord's Prayer of forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors because the second we start trying to live right with God and others, we're like, oh, I need to, I not only need daily bread today, I need daily what? Forgiveness. Are you with me? So there's the idea, living rightly. Now, this idea of living, pursue, uh, of prioritizing kingdom living, of seeking first the righteousness of God, is a big idea for King Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount. So turn to Matthew 5. 19 through 20, Matthew 5, 19 through 20. It's not just in Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Look in Matthew 5. He starts the sermon this way. Look at Matthew 5, verse 19. Whoever, Pharisee, peasant, religious, non-religious, whoever, Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same. In other words, yeah, we got the Bible, but you don't have to live by it. Yeah, you're a Christian, but you don't have to live like Christ. They shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, He shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, what characterizes kingdom people? They know the word and they live the word. They teach the word with their mouth, but they teach it with their lives as well. Now notice verse 20 though. You're like, ah, he's getting after them hypocrites. I I like that. Get them hypocrites. Well, then he says, verse 20, For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa, he just leveled the playing field. Because what he's basically doing is right now, here's what I want you to do. Who's the most godly person you know? 
Just think about the godly person you've ever known. Might be someone that's already in heaven. Who's the most godly person you know? And what Jesus is saying is, unless your righteousness surpasses his or hers, you're not going to get into heaven. Because the standard is not other people. Who's the standard? The king. The king is the standard. So what does that mean for everyone in this room? We've fallen short. We've fallen short. So what does this say to us about kingdom living? Well, it tells us, first of all, kingdom righteousness is a gift that has to come from God. The only way you and I are going to be as righteous as God is if God gives us his righteousness as a gift. Right? And that's what the gospel is. We give Jesus our sins. The only thing we contribute to our salvation is our sin. Here's my sin. And what does he give us? His righteousness. And that's an exchange made by faith. And so... He makes us righteous. He declares us righteous. But, and that means we can live righteous. But kingdom righteousness is not sinlessness. He's not saying here, hey, you got to be sinless to get to heaven. You are sinless because I have declared you sinless in the person of Christ. But you should sin less and less. I'm righteous in Christ. Okay. Let's see it. How's it going? Well, some days it goes good and some days it doesn't go so good. But if your life has not changed or gotten worse, all of our lives can, should be, have an upward movement with some deep valleys in it. Are you with me? Okay, upward movement, but oh, this one day or month or year was not good. <laughs> well, what do you need to do? Kingdom repentance. Kingdom repentance. It's not sinlessness. Righteousness is not a work we do to earn the kingdom. It's a gift of God's grace, just like repentance is. That's uh, Last week, we saw a great message of that on Nicodemus. Do good people go to heaven? No, because there's no one good enough to go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Bad people like you and me, we get to go to heaven as a gift of God's grace. Kingdom righteousness is both a point in time and a process over time. So let me give you two examples from the Gospels. Do you know the story of little Zacchaeus who was vertically challenged like some of us? Zacchaeus? Jesus presents himself to Zacchaeus and instantaneously in a point of time he changes, he repents, and he immediately wants to give back what was, I forget the percentage, a third, tooth, I don't know. It was, a, it was more than what the law required. Boom. That's Zacchaeus. Immediate change, repentance. Now think about Nicodemus last week. Nicodemus comes at night. Nicodemus comes with questions. And we can debate whether Nicodemus was saved that night. I don't think he was, personally, based on the fact that nothing said about him. And as Bruce pointed out in, the, in his message, he was a secret believer. It took time for his life to manifest. In fact, it took 
I, I don't know when, what the timing is on John 3, but let, you know, Jesus' ministry 3. It wasn't until after Jesus died. We, if, listen, if, G, if Joseph of Arimathea and if Nicodemus had not made public their faith, we would never even have known what happened on that John 3, 9. Okay? My point is trying to encourage you that kingdom living is a point in time to where you get saved, but it's a progress. And, it, and, and, and leading up to that salvation may take people a lot of time. And once they make that decision, it may take a lot of time to manifest. Or it may be immediate. And you can probably think of examples of that, of people that you know. Listen, those whose greatest pursuit in life is the coming kingdom, their, they, their lives are lived differently than the people around them. Because God has changed their desires, He's changed our hearts, and He's given us the ability to live like kingdom subjects before the kingdom comes. Why? Because the king has come. And he reigns over us. And so we live differently. And you know what? That's good news. And what do you do with good news? You proclaim it. Yeah, you see, you guys are getting the pattern, Dane. I love it. We are proclaiming good news. We are proclaiming kingdom news to all peoples. Are you, are you seeing the, each one of these? is in the Bible. I'm showing you. It's in the Bible, but it's a biblical pattern that progresses together, right? Kingdom readiness requires kingdom repentance. But kingdom repentance leads to kingdom living. And kingdom living is good news. And therefore, I'm going to proclaim kingdom news. And so what do we say to people? What's the, what's the kingdom news? This isn't com- uh, Carmen. Carmen wants it simple. So we're going to keep it simple. What's the Advent greeting? Christ has come. Christ has come. Share it. That's it. That's the kingdom news. Hey, did you know? We don't have to worry about the president of Ukraine, the president of Russia, the president of America. Well, sometimes we do and we get anxious and we get worried. But you know what? A king has come. And guess what? He's coming again. That's the message for Mozambique Island. We don't have anything. Yeah, but we have a king who has everything. And he will see us through this. Listen, that's why ultimately we have got to be sharing the gospel more than and not in 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 and not merely meeting physical needs. What happened to that? What has happened to all of Rickshaw? It's gone. It's gone. No more meals, no more job, no more of that. That is gone. You know what remains of Rogers and Lynn's investment? It's the that was a means to proclaiming the gospel. And what survives today on that island are the men and women who have come to Christ or heard of Christ and may now come to Christ. Now, believe me, we're going to we need to meet physical needs, right? 
Nothing that we meet physical need. Jesus fed thousands numerous times, but he fed them to point to himself. All right? And so all that we do, all that you do in life, listen, it's going to strip down to nothing because we're all going to die naked, buck naked. And the only thing we're going to take with us to heaven is the word of God that we lived and the people that we led to Christ helping. So we got the Easter extravaganza coming. We've got the egg fill. Why are we doing those things? Because plastic eggs are meaningful for eternity? No, because that is an opportunity to connect with people. So why has the king left us? Well, you know what? We have a beautiful reason. Why? In Matthew 28, at the end of the chapter, he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I have given. Listen, baptizing them in the name, hallowed be your name, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Ah, kingdom living. There you go. And so that's the focus. Proclaim, proclaim. And then, fifthly, we are persevering with kingdom hope. Listen, living for the kingdom is not easy. It's not easy. And you might be thinking at this point, well, Chris, you don't know where I work. You don't know, you don't live with my spouse. Hopefully my wife's not saying that. You don't understand I'm single. You don't understand I'm married. You don't understand I'm single again. You don't understand we don't have kids. You don't understand we do have kids. You don't understand that we have a prodigal son or daughter. Our family doesn't get along. My health is no longer what it used to be. Listen, all of those things are real, and they're really painful, but none of them are an excuse for not living for his kingdom. And that's why he says, we are to be persevering with kingdom hope. Listen, we know what Kara is going through. What are you going through? What are you going through? Every testing, every trial, every difficulty, every suffering, every longing, every disappointment, every pain, whether it be a muscle pain or a person who is a pain, which can sometimes hurt more than the muscle pain. Okay, so I've heard. Listen, it doesn't matter what it is. Your entire life by the providence of your loving Heavenly Father is in His hands for His wise and good purposes. Can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah. And I know it, 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 we have made it trite, but it is truth. Romans eight twenty eight through 30. We know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren in the kingdom. The king is our older brother. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Where? He's going to glorify him in the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Now, there's 
many things that I could play out here, but let's let's turn to Romans eight. Turn to Romans eight and uh, look at verses fourteen. Look, begin in verse fourteen. And just look at what he says there. Romans eight fourteen. For all who are being led by the Spirit. These are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out the Lord's Prayer. Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. But notice, and if children, heirs also. If we are God's children, then guess what? We inherit the kingdom. But notice... Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. Woo! Kingdom, glory, reward. And then what's he say? If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For Christ, the cross, comes before the crown. For the Christian, the cross comes before the crown. The crown is guaranteed. The kingdom is coming. But we have to bear our own cross. And we persevere in hope. Drop down to verse 22 of Romans 8. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our body. But look at verse 24. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, whoop, what do we do? With perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. How do you persevere through all this? It's with kingdom hope. Persevering. With kingdom hope. Suffering now. Paul says momentary pain in light of eternal glory. And you're like, if you knew how much pain I'm going through. Well, then that's how much greater the glory is going to be. That's how much greater. And that leads us to the final one, which is not something to teach, but something to do. We are praying to the Father by the Spirit for the Son to come. And claim his kingdom realm. And so again, on your table, this is how you apply the final point. Is you pray the kingdom prayer as Carmen testified she is doing. Not just here at church, but when you're cleaning the toilets. When you're at work. When you're not cleaning the toilets, but your life is like a toilet. And you're getting flushed down the drain. You pray the kingdom prayer. All right? And so, if you haven't been looking over these during the week, could I challenge you to do it this week? Could I challenge you to do it this week? And basically what it's going to do, it's gonna, you're going to pray back this lesson to God. So you're going to pray through the six proofs that you're pursuing the kingdom. 